0: Motor talk. Hi, everyone. We're back. I'm Mike. I'm Jim. Hello. I'm Graham. Good evening to you. And we are most of UK Motor Talk. Sans Dave, who has been out and about in a, a wonderful place. And it sounds terrible. And I think we said this before. But it's in Grimsthorpe. it doesn't doesn't sound great. But anyway, we'll, we'll come back to that in, in just a moment. How are you all doing? Wet,
1: cold, miserable. It's horrible. I mean, it's. I I think I've picked. I, it must be me. I mean, they always say that when you uh, when you wash the car, that's what makes it rain. So I I wash the car, and it frequently rains the you. day. But I think. It seems to be pretty much ever since I bought the catering, it has just constantly rained, hasn't it? I mean, I thought I'd it come has. and see you the other day. So it was a, a lovely sunny day. It was all bright sunshine, needed sunglasses and a hat and whatever else. Hopped in the car, came round to see you to see if you could come out and play for uh, for half an hour. And uh, we stood outside chatting and it suddenly got very dark and then by the time I hopped in the car to go home again and by the time I got to the end of the road, it started raining again. I mean, it's just, this, this summer is just miserable, isn't it? It's just not not good.
0: A cloud literally exploded. It just went everywhere, didn't it? It was fine. And then it was like someone had turned a bowl upside down. There was a crazy amount of rain for all of about probably 10 minutes, which is just the right amount of time to get absolutely soaked and then just be cold and miserable, soggy and damp in places that you wouldn't want to be, wetter than an otter's pocket, if you will. But yes, it's your fault for buying a car with no roof.
1: It's got a roof. It just kind of lives rolled up in the corner of the garage because it's unnecessary weight, isn't it? And it takes so long to put on, and you just generally never drive it in the rain anyway, so why would you bother? If it rains, just keep going. Actually, when I was coming back, it was a good little test because when you stopped, obviously you got wet, but as long as you were doing over about 20 miles an hour, you didn't feel anything. You didn't get wet. So there we are. Top tip. If you're going to drive a catering in the rain, drive it quickly.
0: Terribly sorry, officer. I couldn't <laughs> stop. I mean, your car worrying about weight, the weight and, and power to weight ratio of your car is determined by things like when you last went for a poo and if you had breakfast or not. Exactly. That's it. <laughs> mm, it's,
1: a, well, it's a very big percentage. Every every kilo is a rather large percentage. So it's a, these things matter.
0: Kilo? I'm worried for your gut.
1: Are <laughs> you talking in kilos? Depends how much coffee I've had.
2: In a way, F1 <laughs> drivers tend to be quite small because they are very weight sensitive, or the cars are anyway.
1: Thought you were going to say because they poo a lot, <laughs> but
0: there we go. I'm quite small and uh, weight sensitive, but only because I'm sensitive about my weight rather, <laughs> rather than anything else. I, I saw actually something on um, Facebook Marketplace. It was one of these big banners that says, for horse riders, you know, pass wide and slow. This woman had just got her daughter to lay next to it to show the scale. It's bizarre. I mean, not normally people measure things in how many bananas it is or if it's in America or anything but the metric system. And uh, I, I think I'd be slightly hurt if I'd been asked to, to lay next to a sign that just said wide and slow. Because uh, that's <laughs> all you can see in the picture, accurate as it might be. Maybe I should just have that for when I'm on track. I
2: had an auntie that used to measure everything with tea towels.
0: You know, everything in her house was a multiple
2: of a standard tea towel, if there is such a thing. Is there such uh, a thing? Well, no, I did try and explain to her that every tea towel she had was probably a different length. But it was uh, a conversation that was beyond that. It was more metaphysics than physics.
1: When I was young, when I was sort of house party drinking age, when we used to have house parties, which were uh, always good fun. And it was, uh, yeah, as we got older, we measured our progress in height in number of Foster's cans or whatever cheap swill we were drinking at the time. So, yeah, you, you knew how many Foster's cans you were at all.
0: Mm, Bacardi breezes. is a question for you, <laughs> because obviously this is something that uh, is banned these days. Was your choice of drink or possibly choice of smokes influenced by racing and racing liveries yes yes what about you Graham no
2: no See,
1: there we are in in a, in a recent survey of, uh, of <laughs> everyone 50% <laughs> of uh, of the population are influenced so there we are that's why it's bad
0: when when did the drink ban come in and smoke ban come in in formula 1 you know uh all
1: sort of it's what well, it was slightly variable. it no 2000s
0: yeah i was going to say it must have been 2000s I, I have a feeling it was probably before i started drinking which was yeah i think it's I,
1: I wanna say about 2001 it came in in sort of mm. european and you know britain and places like that before other countries i still i vaguely remember in about 06 07 there was a um the ferrari F one, the shark looking one, ran with a Marlboro livery in pre season testing. So I think they were doing that in Bahrain somewhere. So that uh, that looked spectacular with a Marlboro livery on it. But uh, yeah, I think it, it definitely did. I mean, it it didn't encourage me to drink or smoke. That is for certain. But it uh, it certainly tempted me to try the brands that that advertise. But to be fair, that's that's still true today. I look at the brands that advertise and you know, F1 and touring cars and bits and pieces like that, and think, well, if, if it's good enough for F1, it's good enough for me. So, yeah, it does it does influence the brands that I buy. Apart from Labatt's alcohol-free from the, uh, the touring cars of the 90s, that stuff tasted like a yeast infection. That was absolutely <laughs> awful, that stuff. But That's the uh, blue and white, no, it did, wasn't uh, it? You used yeah, to see it on it was, the Sierra's and things. It made for a lovely livery, but Jesus, it was mm, a it great all. livery. I mean, uh, yeah, but yeah, oh yeah. For for a while, I'd drink Nescafe coffee or I'd smoke B and H or Marlboro. I think at one point, Marlboro did uh, an F one special edition packet, so I bought lots and lots and lots of those, which was um, yeah, a bit of a waste of cash. But yeah, hey, I was doing my bit for supporting the team.
0: It encourages you to buy some unexceptional brands. By exceptional liveries, (laughs) it's time for me to smoothly segue into what Dave's been up to. Now, Dave, and I am jealous about this, and I genuinely am, the whole it's not beige, it's harvest gold style of life. I would say it's it's a fast way of living, but clearly it isn't in your maestro, whatever it might be. But Dave has been up at the Festival of the Unexceptional which is a collection of cars probably a lot like The Onion, and in fact there were two there, Um, I do know that, that are just your everyday average cars that have just since disappeared into obscurity, the rare-but-nobody-cares Mark One Astras or Peugeot 406s. A lot of
2: them have disappeared into the ground again. A lot of them rusted so badly, but... um... I've said delightful idea. I love the idea of uh, the, mm. the the cars that everybody had being commemorated in some way. I mean, again,
1: it's, it's when you say cars that everyone had. I mean, just flicking through uh, a few of the pictures, you know, I mean, A, there's a hell of a lot of motor cars there, but there's, I, I don't know, we, we always talk about. Some of the the cars that we remember fondly. I mean, there's a Mark II Golf there, which is uh, which is one of my personal favourites. My first ever car was a Mark II Golf, and I've uh, I've still got a hankering for one, and and I have decided that would be the next car to add to the garage if I could add a garage to the side of my current garage. So I'd need to move house first. And that kind of probably financially rules out uh, any possibility of buying another car but it's expensive there's a up to golf there it is yeah very but there's there's also you know we often talk about oh is uh, a 2023 fiesta z-tech titanium whatever you know one of the last of the line ones is that ever going to be as fondly remembered we think probably not but i mean looking here there's a there's a mark one ka in colorado red sat there and that's you know they were 10 a penny at the time and then you think was well, is anyone going to love that or fondly remember that? But I don't know—is that do. just old enough, or is—is is it just a relative time? You know, give it twenty, thirty years, and we will we remember the Mark Eight Fiesta like we're remembering the Mark One Focus or Mark One KA now. Maybe I reckon. Interesting so.
2: question. Is—is is there a sort of cut-off date that
0: makes it an appreciating classic? It's in the eye of the beholder, isn't it? We do need to let Dave get on with this now. And I tell you what—we don't see a lot of on the road anymore. Old Rovers. You've
3: come up in the Rover 600 we're standing in front of, in the fetching shade of, I think it's probably teal, isn't it? Metallic teal. Tell us a little bit about this.
4: I think it's it's called Charleston Green. So this car's got the nickname Madge, as in uh, Anne Charleston from the TV show (laughs) Neighbours. And uh, yeah, this is quite a late Rover 600. It's a 623. I think it's a GSI, which means it's quite posh. And we've um, driven up from Sussex in it. And uh, very comfortable it was too. It's looking in well-used
3: condition. It's even got the uh, period-correct uh, replacement rubber aerial that you used to be able to buy at every single petrol station on the time. It's a lovely-looking thing. It's, it's a V-Reg, and it's not looking bad for its
4: age. Yeah, I think it's been well looked after mechanically. It's got a bit of a history, this one. Um, it's been through the, the hands of some of the classic car community before it's reached um, Richard, who owns a car. And, yeah, I mean, inside, it's absolutely lovely, really comfortable. We've had a very nice, soothing journey on the way up it's been well cared for well loved done some recent long runs i think down to down to cornwall and back and taken the dog as well. I seem to remember these, these were very, very popular at the time I mean, they're part of
3: Rover's final uh, collaboration with Honda, weren't they? Because it was an Accord underneath and it gave Rover a bit of a bonus, I think, probably when it uh, came to reliability. The bits on top perhaps <laughs> haven't, haven't fared quite so well but again, it's not in bad condition.
4: I think it's fairly well reflective of the fact that uh, these cars saw a lot of life when they were new, so probably you know, fleet cars and frankly any Rover, any age now is is starting to show signs of decay Uh, so uh, my own um, 20 year old MG is uh, just, just on the cusp of starting to rot but I managed to get to it and that, that's only done 17,000 miles, so I think it's just come to the territory really.
3: I think you're probably right. Looking inside, it's it's full leather, it's a very push go automatic as well. It's got the wood-alike on the dash. Again, inside, it's looking well loved, but it's holding up well to the years. And as you say, you had a comfortable journey up from the coast. I mean, we, uh, we basically spent an hour queuing to get in, didn't we? I think you were slightly ahead of us in the queue. It looks
4: like a comfortable place to sit and negotiate a queue. Oh, yeah, it's very, very, very comfortable. The only issue is uh, the common rover problem of inoperative air conditioning but aside from that quite quite comfortable well
3: it's got a sunroof has not it which is cranked open at the minute and uh letting letting the hot air out it's quite a nice warm day what else have you seen so far i mean i know we haven't been here too long we've probably only been on site for about an hour most of which again was spent in the queue but just wandering around i've just stood in front of cars i haven't seen in years and years and can't believe i'm seeing again now what's particularly caught your
4: eye thus far uh, I think, um, well, it's difficult to, to tell because it's just so much here. It's like being confronted with uh, a, a particularly good menu at a restaurant. It's selection anxiety. Uh, I've heard it termed other, other ways. But for me, I think probably the Renault 11 that I've spotted, which has got the most magnificent hi-fi system, graphic equaliser. And um, it's just, for me, it's a reminder of childhood because my granddad had one um, from new. I can still smell it up my nostrils and um i think that's what this is about really it's just identifying with some point of your childhood <laughs> cars that you got taken to school in or cars that you crashed or somewhere in some point in between what's fun is that there are a few cars amongst this collection here which probably don't really fit the bill uh i've seen a ferrari f355 there's a delta integrale which is you know common it's, as it's, muck yeah they're just people aren't really stopping to look at those i mean the people are it's it's, it's fun to see someone walk past a Ferrari a 355 to go and look at a parodia nipper. I think <laughs> yeah. that probably probably sums up this event, really. I don't know. If you don't, don't get the spirit of it, it's, um, you're probably in the wrong place. I'm, I'm, I'm finding it hard to imagine any show that it's going to appeal to me more than, than this one. This is my first time here, so it'll be interesting to see if uh, anything else cuts the mustard in the future. And with the Rover 600,
3: we're here with Richard, who's the proud owner. He's sat in the back. Tell us about this wonderful Rover 600 that you're sat in the boot of. How long have you had this? I've had this a year now. Uh, this was owned
5: by Classic World. It was their YouTube project car. Uh, it came up for sale and at the time I didn't want another rover Um, I've always had rovers and it was for sale, for sale, for sale and in the end I sent a message saying if you've not been offered anything more than £2.50 and some opal fruits let's talk Uh, next thing I'm off with Alex
3: to go and pick the blooming thing up. He's a very bad influence, exactly. actually. The car I've got at the minute is down to him, but, I mean, I can't really fault him because it's one I love. You were saying to me that this is number six in the number of Rover 600 you've yeah. had over the years? Yeah, I had, um, had a 620SI manual before
5: this one in gunmetal grey, and they're, they're not bad cars, but it was just a bit basic and a bit manually, uh, and they suit the automatics better. Um, And this is a 623, which is far nicer than 620 anyway, um, because it's top of the range. So not very unexceptional, actually, if I'm honest, but um, they just drive nicer. They're great for doing long journeys, and even now, it'll keep up with everything modern. Um, So there's not really a problem.
3: And have you had to do much to it? Alex was saying that it's got the standard Rover non-air conditioning working at the minute. But, I mean, apart from that...
5: No, absolutely. Went through the MOT with no drama. It runs quite happily. It gets used only at weekends as a rule. Getting it started, off you go. There's no
3: drama at all which is good. It must get attention. Do you get people coming up to you when you go to petrol pumps going, I used to have one of these or it was my dad's company car? It's quite a distinctive colour. I don't think I could
5: do a bank job in it. (laughs) Um, I'm joking. You do get people coming up and say, I remember having these company cars or I used to sell these when they were new. and I I quite like hearing stories like that. I think over the passage of time, you're not going to get someone quite as exciting telling you about when they sold a brand new Ford Focus in 2022. You're just not going to get that passion, I don't think. I might be wrong, but I just don't think you will um, in years to come. Um, So it's nice to hear that people still remember them know what they are they're really comfortable is what they always say so (laughs) that sort of tells you something i think
3: is there quite a community of people who run old rovers are there owners clubs online forums groups that you're a member of where you sort of keep an eye out for unobtainium parts and the like
5: yeah, there's, a, there's still a parts community, which is nice. You can still get bits and bobs, or if you've got a particular problem, they'll say, yeah, I know what that is. You can, this is how you clear this. Um, window regulators are the fav- favourite ones because they're made out of cheese, <laughs> um, and they go. But if you're clever and you go on eBay dot fr rather than dot co.uk you can get a left what is a left hand drive passenger window one which is actually the driver's side here so you can overcome that quite easily um, as long as you're willing to search on on a french internet site so that's not such a problem but no i mean there is there is an owner's club and they do bits and bobs and sometimes i embrace it Um, but this is the only one in this color that i think gets posted on the owners club so there are about three or four others in this color
3: what is the official color i mean i would say it's a metallic teal but i know there's a far more technical and wonderfully artistic name for it really charleston green
5: charleston green that was it which gives the nickname
3: madge yes madge from neighbors you'll have to get another one and call it harold yeah i've got a a white one uh white 416 is called harry there you go almost almost so you've got more than one rover there's obviously a bug that you've uh, been bitten by
5: my dad always had them when i was growing up Uh, i had three r8s at one point i've still got my white one which i've had for years and years and years and they get under your skin not in a bad way but they get under your skin maybe it's a parent thing and i think if you go fast forward 10 years and ask my daughter what her first car is going to be she's telling me it's going to be a pink or a purple rover the reality is it probably
3: won't be but who knows. Who knows indeed. Lovely to see it here. It's lovely to see everything here. I mean it literally is jaw dropping. We've never been before and it is I think speaking earlier to Alex he was saying it's a bit like being in a cathedral there's a slightly awed hush as people are wandering around and you can absolutely understand that we've not even been to the the holy of holies yet up by the castle where the concourse uh, is Ordinaire. we'll wander up there in a bit have you seen anything in particular that's really sort of opened your eyes in the time that you've been here this morning most of it um <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, there's
5: a nice very nice mazda one two one in yellow which is lovely a little bubble thing with a sunroof uh there's a very basic 406 which caught my eye uh, and there was other bits You just don't see, like, Mark 1 Astros and stuff like that. It's
3: just nice to see. I think that sums it up, doesn't it? When you're not looking at a 355, but a bogo spec Peugeot 406 on a V-plate or similar, it's grabbing the attention. That's basically what this event's all about. Thanks ever so much, Richard. It's been lovely to talk to you. Thanks here in the Holy of Holies. This is the uh, is it the Concorde d'Ordinaire we're, we're in here, isn't yep. it? I'm um, stood with Gavin Bushby, who's got a 1996 Fiat Punto 90 ELX in Bianco something. We tried to look at the paint code in the boot, couldn't quite read it, but it's, uh, it's Italian for white and it's very white and it's in fantastic condition. And I think I'm right in saying it's only got about 70,000 miles, Gavin.
6: Yes, it's um, just coming up to 77,000.
3: It's quite the survivor. Um, I've got a particular interest in this car because my parents had one of these from you in about 1995 and it's a time warp it it really takes me back, it's got everything, it's got all the bells and whistles, this is pretty much the top of the range for Fiat Puntos of the era wasn't it?
6: Yes it was Um, it's got the biggest engine the 1600, this was actually the biggest engine and the top spec level on the non-turbos.
3: And you've had this car for, I think you were telling me, four years what made you um, pick on this one particular I know you
6: you do have a bit of a liking for Fiat but uh, what made you go for this well it's such a rare survivor um in fact a so-called friend sent me a link to the advert and said you need to save this and there are so few mark 1 puntos left these days it sort of had to be saved and then when i realized it was a 90 elx in you know bog standard white but with the big engine the nice spec and somebody fitted abs to it paid a fortune for it back in 1996 um It just needed to be saved because somebody was going to buy it, modify it or wrap it around a tree quite honestly. So somebody's got to save them and apparently all my friends thought it should be me so
3: (laughs) here it is. (laughs) You you inherited the mantle. Now this joins a collection of quite a few other fiat's I believe. It does yes
6: there's uh, quite a few. I think we worked
3: out there's about 14 at the moment. Wow. Any particular favourites? How does the one we're looking at now, how does that rank in terms... Of, I mean, it's here at a, a Concord Ordinaire, so it must, must rank fairly
6: high in the list of cars you like to own. It does, but um, I'm, I'm attached to most of them. But um, the the big favourites would have to be the 127s, um, because I had a 127 as my first car. And, uh, I, yeah, I've rescued one that's exactly the same colour and model as as my first car. I've got a Fiat Coupe as well. Again, I wouldn't sell that. I, I just love the Mark 1 Punto's. I bought one new back in 1998. Yeah, they still drive very well, keep up with the modern traffic, perfectly practical and reliable, and, yeah you know, somebody's got to save them, as I said. It really, really
3: has brought back a lot of memory seeing this car. How do you rank your chances here today? Do you think you're going to be going
6: home with the the coveted award? Very unlikely, I think. I mean, there's so many cars that they could choose. They, They do sort of look at the stories and uh, it's about the people and the stories as much as anything else I might get an award for persistence because I've uh, entered so many times and I know all the judges but uh, you know, I don't think that increases your your chances of winning unfortunately.
3: Well well, let's hope, we'll keep our fingers crossed for you and wish you all the best. You're up against some very stiff competition it has to be said but these cars are survivors and the fact that they're here means they're all winners in my book but I really do wish you well and uh, wish you a lovely rest of the event so that's it festival of the unexceptional number nine 2023 has finished and we're just walking back to the car park so as another festival of the unexceptional virgin tony
7: what was your first impression of the event it was incredible to see so many car manufacturers and so many marks and they all had it wrong it (laughs) was it was truly exceptional yes i think you're right i think there's there's the exceptional unexceptional isn't there Absolutely right. We saw citrons, uh, we saw the best of British Leyland of the time, which in itself sounds a little bit of an oxymoron, but I'm sure (laughs) listeners will understand. Uh, From the uh, Princess to uh, the Allegro, it was just a concophony of the uh, most unexceptional cars I've ever had a chance to witness. It was truly wonderful. Was there anything
3: particular that stood out for you as being the most
7: exceptional, unexceptional,
3: and something that you would have, had you had the
7: opportunity taken home with you today? Uh, well, two things there. Probably the most unexceptional base-level or entry-level Vauxhall Nova. Very unexceptional indeed. Uh, but I was really taken with the Austin Maxi, and the Princess. They were particularly good examples,
3: weren't they? I mean, these are the cars that people probably now look back and think, I'm so glad I never had one of those. But now it brings back such a wave of nostalgia, doesn't it? Because as Danny Hopkins, who's the editor of Practical Classics, giving out the prizes earlier, said, these are the cars that we walk past day in, day out, didn't give a second thought to, but now when we see them, it really sort of evokes
7: memories of our past. Well, a lot of people will remember the sights, the sounds and the bad language of their father being out on the drive with the <laughs> gearbox out of his austin maxi trying to fit a new clutch and those are all things that we remember from our, our childhood the skin burns and the rashes we used to get from the uh, from the plastic seats during the heat of the summer the sculpted velour of the more luxury editions it was all just absolutely unexceptional for its time but wonderful yeah we i think we're definitely going to be coming back next year aren't we Oh, absolutely. I mean, who wouldn't want to be here? It's an absolute celebration of the UK cars throughout the decades, and they are all truly unexceptional.
0: Well, do you know what? I'm I'm, I'm still jealous I haven't gone. There might be a lot of British Leyland in there, but there's definitely a lot of stuff that, that would look like a FADS car park or some other. (laughs) (laughs) Do you remember FADS? They They just disappeared, didn't they? There used to be a FADS around the corner from me. I don't even remember what they sold. Was it like a home base or something?
1: It was like decorating. It was like a a budget B&Q, FADS. Although, to me, FADS is uh, something my missus was in, which was ferrying amateur dramatic society. But to be fair, if you're looking around the car park of the Amateur Dramatic Society, then yes, a lot of beige rovers is uh, is probably about right.
0: That's it's a fair judgment. I do remember that punter coming out there when I was a kid. Cause I remember thinking how weird the tail lamps were that went on the other side of the windows, which then appeared on pretty much everything, didn't it? Like the focus and all the rest of it. Thought they looked like a stripy sock coming down the back mm. and the back side, either side of the windows. Maybe a bit ahead of its time, that. So many cars that we used to see every day that have just disappeared from our roads. I can only imagine that uh, we're, we're going to become that generation. And I, I, and I say this because I <laughs> I recognised the other day that I've become part of the current group of 30 something dads when I went to um, my eldest's school. And we were all stood there with the same beard, the same hair, the same shorts, and the same polo shirts on. I used to have one of those. Oh, my dad used to have one of those. Oh, I remember. And that they, those are those kind of cars, aren't they? The Festival of the sexual. They are all the cars that your dad used to own or your granddad had or you used to smoke around in when you were when you're in your formative years and up no good
1: well I don't know there was a there was a lot of cars that yeah there was sort of the if your dad or your chemistry teacher or whatever didn't have one of them you know a Nissan Bluebird for my chemistry teacher and uh, but there was there was a lot of cars that you said oh yeah Chris had one of them and then he did xy and z to it and put these wheels on it you know it was a volvo uh, 440 there and i remember a guy called chris having one of those and i think he put a set of tsw venoms on it Ooh. and uh, and made it rather exceptional it has to be said
0: and uh, there's yeah there's so
1: many cars we think oh yeah chris had one of them dave had one of them craig had one of them but I think we Halfords uh, finance to start, alloys. Well, that's it. But we because I think we tended to start off in the in the budget model, the base model, because it was the cheapest one, and then mod it and do X, Y, and Z to it, because that was the only way into it. Even though you ended up spending more money on it, you'd have been better off just buying the one that had alloys and this that the other on it anyway but you uh you spent what you could and then added to it as you went along but it was uh yeah there was so many oh yeah he had one of those and then it was like that for about a day before we did x y and z to it and that's that's why these cars are probably rare because they're the cars that we bought because we could afford them and we hadn't quite figured out that we weren't the best drivers in the world at the time
0: it was he had it a day before
2: handbrake turned it onto its roof i won't have you maligning the nissan bluebird i had One in period as a company car from New, and uh, with the local motor club that I was a member of at the time, we used to do night rallies, and so I used to take the Bluebird rallying, which was great fun.
1: I never never, never pretended to malign the Bluebird. I simply said my chemistry teacher had one. (laughs) He was very good chemistry, one of my favourite teachers.
0: I just imagine you're getting lost somewhere down past Kent, you know, and on the coast, and you'd be worried that there might be... Bluebirds over the White Cliffs of Dover. Oh,
2: dear, dear. just don't sing it, for God's sake. Having mentioned my uh, auntie with the um, strange units of measure, she actually gave us a car, I do remember, and I've only just recalled this. It was, uh, I think it was 1970, something like that. Uh, Austin 1300 GT, which was a car we ended up taking racing, not because it was much of a car as it stood, but we wanted to go mini racing and uh, discovered quite by accident that the 1300 GT had the strongest bottom end and was the preferred lump for Mm. uh, building a mini special, which is what we did and raced it Mm. for a bit. Well raced it crashed it raced it crashed it and so on and so on Well, we had a lot of fun and uh, some very cheap motorsport
0: an overboard a series or something maybe yeah 1293
2: yeah. polished and ported and all
0: the all the stuff one thing we do need to say before we go and that is that we're going to be at the british motor show which is well next week looking forward to that it's got bigger and bigger every year, actually, hasn't it?
1: Yeah, it has since it uh, moved to its new home in Farnborough. And it's, um, yeah, grown and grown and grown. It was, you know, one and a half falls, and they sort of tried with a little bit outside the first time we went there. But the uh, the last time we went there, it was like, oh, this, this has filled the place out entirely now, hasn't it? But there's uh, mm. lots of... Um, New makes and models and uh, and things. All the manufacturers tend to be there, and and you can have a go in most of the things that they have to offer, which is uh, quite good. And There's just a a nice general mix, but it's uh it's it's sort of taking on the uh, the spirit of the Birmingham Motor Show, isn't it? But just a lot nearer to us. So it's uh, an hour and a bit up the road rather than a few hours up the road. So. I like it.
2: I did Birmingham for many, many years, and um, there were some very strange things went on there, people that were given cars, and some very, very good chefing, because on press days they used to cater wildly. All the top chefs would be on somebody's stand, and you could go from one stand to another and eat very nicely, I huh? seem to remember, Jean-Christophe Nivelli with uh, breakfast of bacon and scrambled eggs cooked in truffle oil, which is the first time I'd experienced that novelty. Uh, It was delicious. Mm. But then uh, one of the other chefs was doing... Fangio Flan. Yes. Five different forms of curry and... uh, Flangio. Land Rover Stand did the full English uh, Sunday lunch. I still bear the giveaways from some of those things.
0: But beyond the, the new stuff that's in the halls, of course, there's stuff that's owners clubs there's stuff that's a bit older there's stuff that's artisan and that's the stuff I think I really enjoy actually although it's It's quite interesting looking at the new cars, of course, through the benefit of what we do. We do get to see those. And it is quite fun to petrify the chap on the Sayat stand who clearly had no idea about the vehicle that he was trying to talk to me about. I think that, I can't remember if it was last last year or the year before last, but to see some of the owners' clubs and see the people that are passionate about the cars, that to me is really interesting. And then to see where the future lies in terms of new products and, like I say, these artisan skills where people are, are carrying out really in depth quality restorations or resto mods. That really is interesting to me. So there's a lot to see there and there's plenty to cater for all tastes. So if you're interested in cars, and presumably if you're listening to this, you haven't got lost and have just stumbled in and are still going at this point in the uh, the podcast and fair play to you if you are, um, then it's worth going along. It is worth going along. That's the point I'm getting to. And I guess on that point, it really is time for us to go. This has been UK Motor Talk. We hope you've enjoyed this unexceptional podcast. And I've been Mike.
1: Goodbye. I've been Jim, goodbye. Enjoy the sunshine, such as it
0: is.
2: (laughs) And I've been Graham. Good night to
4: you all. UK Motor Talk, a First Take Media production.
2: They are all truly unexceptional.